What's up, everybody? This is Mike. Welcome back to the Made in China podcast. Hope everyone had a good Chinese New Year and that your company survived the uh, the slowdown that the month of February creates. Uh, today's episode, we have Manuel Bekvar. Manuel is an FBA guru and the creator of ImportDojo.com. Manuel is an encyclopedia of information, guys, and this is a must-listen episode. Uh, Manuel has over 10 years of electronic sourcing experience in China. He's a four-time self-published author, and just overall, he's a good dude, and he has a bunch of, of great information and recommendations for you. Uh, he has a solid following online, and once you listen to this podcast, you'll definitely understand why. Uh, some of the things that we talked about, uh, various topics like the biggest mistakes that FBA sellers make, why global sources is better than Alibaba, and if Amazon is going to start taking knowledge from the FBA sellers out there and, and try to kill the competition and do it all themselves. Uh, that's just a quick snapshot of what we're going to talk about, but like I said, this is a great episode. Manuel is, uh, is a great dude, good reference, and hope you guys enjoy it. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. So when you meet someone that doesn't know you in a social function, let's say a cocktail party, for example... Um, how do you answer the question, what do you do? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I do so many things at the moment right now that uh, I usually confuse people because I tell them uh, different things. Like um, I have a trading company in Hong Kong. I do sourcing for clients, uh, but I also sell on Amazon. And many people actually don't know how to sell on Amazon or what uh, FBA or selling on Amazon in general is about. And uh, yeah, I also wrote books, so uh, I'm part of an author as well. So I do several things, and <laughs> that confuses people a lot. Um, in general, I would say I'm I'm an online entrepreneur. Okay, you should just say I'm James Bond. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work so well if um, if you're actually not. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No tricks. And I, I know currently you're you're in Bangkok, but uh, what initially drew you to Hong Kong, and then why did you stay after after going there initially? Uh, actually, I I moved to Hong Kong in in 2005. I was working for a DIY retailer back in Austria, and they originally only sent me for um, for an internship for six months to work in the in the buying office that is working as a let's say um, joint buying office for them. And um, yeah, you know, came to Hong Kong, uh, fell in love with the city right away. There was obviously a woman also, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I uh, stayed ever since. Manuel, um, where are you from originally? I'm Austrian, Austria. Okay. Yeah, sense. but uh, well, I do go home once in a while, uh, like a couple, couple of times per year. But uh, I've been in in Hong Kong um, consistently since 2005. Yeah. But recently, I um, I tried it. I tried to um, to work remotely from from Bangkok. Um, my wife is Thai, so we decided to stay a few weeks in Hong Kong, a few weeks in in 
in uh, in Bangkok. And uh, whenever I'm in Hong Kong, I try to do my schedule with the factories in China and go to the exhibition and have the meetings. And uh, the rest of the time, I'll be working on my online projects in in Bangkok. Yeah, I can definitely relate with falling in love with with Hong Kong. You know, mm. um, just a very expensive city. Uh, so when you when you first started your business and you you know you're dealing with factories and manufacturers in China, um, did you ever think about moving to the mainland? Uh, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I know a couple of people uh, who moved to, to China for, for um, business reasons. I mean, they, they used to be in, in Hong Kong before, that, but then they moved to China to be closer to the factories. But um, for me, I think it's, it's quite convenient to be in Hong Kong. It's like, you know, an, an hour per, per train. And then you're already in Shenzhen or maybe two hours and, uh, to Guangzhou. So if I really need to go to the factories, most of my factories are located in Guangzhou, in southern China, so Guangzhou, Shenzhen. So I don't really need to be in China just to be really closer. I mean, if I have to go to a meeting, I can do it on the very next day or maybe even on the same day if time permits, you know. So... Yeah, and, and Hong Kong has a very international standard. Um, I mean, it's it's very easy to do to do business in Hong Kong. It's a lot more complicated to do business in China as a foreigner. I think so. There was never really an issue or a question you, for me to, to go to China. Do, mm. do you mean uh, to do business from like a, an administrative sense? Yes, in administrative sense, like, like you where know, you register your company and where you have your banks and, and money flowing in and out of. Exactly. Um, since you guys are based in China, I think you know that it's not as easy <laughs> to receive. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, that's a constant problem as a foreigner. And, and our sourcing company is, is also registered out of Hong Kong. It just makes life so much easier. Right, right. Yeah, you even you have find... You jump through a lot of hoops if you're a foreigner in, in mainland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You even find the factories have Hong Kong bank accounts for receiving transfers from the customers. It's just because it's easier, right? Um, That's very true. Yeah. Um, that confuses a lot of people overseas. Actually, I often get the the question like, um, "Oh, I saw this supplier has a Hong Kong give me a Hong Kong bank account, or you know, uh, his details are uh, Hong Kong limited. Is that a red flag? You know? Yeah. yeah. But actually, it's just out of convenience and for um, I'd say administrative reason, uh, reasons to have the Hong Kong limited. Yeah, definitely makes sense. So you have uh, two companies, Mandarin Gear and Import Dojo. And I know as you've become more successful in FBA, you've shifted your focus onto Import Dojo. Um, can you tell people that might not know you a little bit about both businesses? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, Mandarin Gear is actually the, the company that I started out with. Um, I founded it in 2013, but really got started and self-employed uh, in 2014. Early 2014, it's uh, it's basically a consumer electronics trading company. Um, I manufacture electronics with a couple of factories in China, and then started working with uh, with retailers first because that's where my my background is from. Actually, since I was in retail, I made a lot of contacts over the last uh, 17 years and 10 years in China, and um, so yeah, that's how I started out with. Um, and I'm actually selling the the 
brand itself to, to retailers only in, in Europe. Some of them actually private label my products, so you won't find Mandarin gear that much. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm about to launch the, my, my private label Mandarin gear on Amazon with a couple yes. of household products. Uh, initially, it was only electronics, but I'm trying to branch into other products under this brand now too. Um, that's going to happen sometime in February um, next year. Oh, that's a good got, got a lot going on. Busy, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like I said, <laughs> it's difficult to to say at a, a cocktail party what I actually do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, so that's interesting. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that you have retailers in Europe private labeling your products. How did you right. establish those kind of relationships and how did they? how did that come about? Well, because um, my my main when I was employed uh, at the buying office, I was actually working for three of the biggest retailers in in in, in Europe. There was uh, Rewe in Germany, Coop in Switzerland, and uh, Baumax, the DIY retailer in in Austria. So I was working as a product manager um, for many years uh, for these guys, and obviously they sent their buyers to China. So I made a lot of contacts. I visited them in Europe. And um, yeah, that's that's where I first started. Of course, when I started my own private label, I was um, I already had the contacts. All I needed to do was um, approach them and say, "I'm starting my own company, and uh, would you be interested in ordering with me uh, through my company?" You know. Um, so when I started out, I kind of had confirmed customers already because they knew me, they knew how I work, and they knew um, what performance I can bring to the table. So cool. I had a bit, uh, a bit, a bit of a head start compared to to people who are just trying to build a brand, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Manuel, um, I wanted to talk about import dojo and some of the sourcing that you do. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think, in your opinion, is the the main difference between Alibaba and Global Services when people are are trying to source a particular product? Um, most people actually only know. Alibaba. Just recently, I think Global Sources has been doing a lot of work um, to get the attention of uh, FBA buyers or, or sellers. Um, my personal opinion is that Alibaba has a much bigger database, so some products cannot be found on Global Sources that you can definitely find on, on Alibaba. Um, but then again, there's so many suppliers or so many trading companies or so many scammers on Alibaba that it's really difficult to to weed out well those scammers or those um, only pure trading companies. Right. Um, and and also I feel that Ali, uh, Global Source is doing a, a, a much a, a more professional job on the on the background check with the suppliers before they actually let them list the products on their site. Um, they also have the exhibitions, they have trade magazines, um, they have top-selling product lists and newsletters. So they're doing a lot of work to actually help buyers. And Alibaba, on the other hand, is, from my point of view, it's just a database of suppliers and sure they do some, some background check and some scanning, but I feel it's not um, thorough enough because you often hear um, how people have problems when buying on on Alibaba, and that is very uh, rare on the global sources. I actually do a lot 
together with the CIO of Drone Resources. Awesome. Um, and yeah, you can see that also on my blog. But uh, like I said, they do a lot of work to actually please buyers and, and help buyers make them feel more comfortable. I have a good friend, a good Chinese friend that were actually worked for Global Sources, so I kind of got a first-hand view into that. I think that was one of the main, uh, you know, pillars of their business was trying to establish good relationships with suppliers and, like you said, you know, going that extra mile to make sure that they're actually a reputable factory and you're not having to deal with some of those problems that you were discussing on Alibaba with with the scammers and 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 even to a an extended level, do you think it's it's difficult for people to import? Electronics. You hear a lot of horror stories with electronics coming from China, specifically. Mm. So, why do you think importers sometimes uh, shy away from that? Um, from a personal view, I've been dealing with electronics for a very long time—seventeen um, years, actually. So, you know, I know um, the regulations and the, uh, the rules, and uh, I'm confident with electronics. But I think that's what most people are scared of because they don't know the, the regulations or um, the rules that they have to comply with in, in their particular country. Um, yeah, please go ahead. Sorry, uh, do you have a, a, a specific way or a tip you can give to people on how to stay on top of, the, of those regulations and how to actually comply with uh, you know shipping or, or customs laws? Mm. Um, I think in general... Or is it just experience? Uh, I think it's definitely experience. Um, I can easily tell. But if you have no experience at all uh, and you, you don't know where to start at all, um, actually I just released uh, a post on importing electronics. So if people wouldn't mind, they <laughs> check on, on my blog. Uh, importdojo.com, that's right. Um, there's a, a, a mini guide to importing electronics. But if you if you don't... If you have no idea still after that, what's very helpful is actually, let's say you, you look for um, a Bluetooth speaker on Alibaba, right? So you go on to uh, a supplier site on the product site exactly, and then the suppliers will actually list what kind of certificates they have. So this is where you can get your first idea what you should at least have. Um, many of the suppliers who list that they, for example, have FCC or CE certificate, they may not have it actually. They're just listed for, yeah, um, scamming reasons. <laughs> but um, you can get a general idea of what you need when you actually look on a, on a product page on, on Alibaba. Yeah, I think as well, uh, one thing I do with my staff, because of course uh, our staff is not versed in every single product, um, I have them, you know, they can burn a few leads. So when they contact the factories initially, I have them ask questions that they don't know the answers to. So even though we might not end up working with that factory, um, mm. you know, they can still learn a little bit more about the, the certifications and the certain details about the product that we're sourcing, you know? Definitely, yeah. Helps, yeah. Uh, Manuel, how do you think an importer like yourself um, takes in electronics under a private label and brand? And you know, how do you avoid competing with larger companies, for example, like a, a Beats by Dre or Bose or, or something of the like? Mm. Um, I think it takes. It's very difficult. Uh, it takes a very long time to be actually. Um, on the same level like like those big boys but um, 
I mean, it takes it takes years and a, a huge budget to become as big as them, and uh, they have been in the business for decades. So if you're just starting out with an electronic brand, um, it, you're going to have a very tough time. Um, it, it takes a long time to, to create brand awareness. For example, for me, I've been running this company for one and a half, half years, Mandarin Gear, and um, I mean, no one actually knows me, you know. <laughs> Even I'm <laughs> exhibiting at the booths or at the uh, uh, exhibitions in Hong Kong. I mean, people have never heard of me, you know. So right. it takes a long time. Um, I'd recommend to, to start small on, on Amazon and then branch out to, to other e-commerce sites and uh, hope that retailers actually contact you for, for deals to get you listed in their stores or in their, in their supermarkets, you know. Are you trying to work with any publications like online blogs or, or any of the um, electronic reviewing uh, online sources? Um, not at this moment. Um, I, actually tr I actually had a Kickstarter before. Um, okay. And uh, you know, I I tried to launch it myself. It was uh, it was a nightmare actually. And, <laughs> was uh, it under Mandar Mandarin Gear? Uh, no, it was not under Mandarin Gear. I worked with oh. a with a. I did work with a friend, but um, he didn't really help on the, let's say, on the social on the social boost. So mm -hmm. you know, I contacted Mashable and Gadget, um, the Wire, you know, whatever they're called. And uh, none of them were interested in, in publishing the, the product or the article. Um, you need a lot of experience and, and good context to actually get in, in touch with those um, hyped magazines. Sure. Yeah, and I, but, think, I think Mike has, has told me about this as well. It's like sometimes you have to pay them to, to publish your, your product. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sometimes they, people ask for money. Sometimes they definitely want a sample. Mm, absolutely, yeah. When you first were starting out in, in China, what were some of your earliest uh, failures or, or difficulties that you faced? Well, in the beginning, I, I tried only the retail and, and spent a lot of money doing so because, you know, I, I come from the retail. I had not much experience in, in e-commerce business. I didn't even know um, Amazon FBA was out there, you know. I knew that eBay was out there and but I wasn't really happy with the with the model that they had. And if I had known Amazon FBA on the first day that I started, I would have spent all my money and, and savings that I saved up for starting my own company on, on doing Amazon FBA, you know. So I should have invested right away. Um, but like I said, in the beginning, I, I tried to work only with, with retailers um, and cash flow was a bit of an issue in the beginning uh, because I took money out of my actual business for living, which I shouldn't have done. And um, so, yeah, I was also still living every month, like I was still on a paycheck. Um, I wasn't used to <laughs> not getting a paycheck, you know, for, for 17 years I was getting a paycheck. So, mm -hmm. But reality came really fast and, um, um, yeah, I had to slow down on spendings and, and really work a lot and hard to... Um, to overcome those issues. Okay. Were there some times where you thought about trying to get back on the paycheck or, or <laughs> was your mind was your mind set up that you were moving forward? Oh, constantly, you know. <laughs> uh, I was constantly thinking about this isn't working, um, I need to look for a job. Um, 
and you know then one day it's it's just like you you have your first first order and uh, it gives you a, a boost and um, so much motivation and that kept me going. But um, it was it took actually four and a half months until I had my first smaller order mm-hmm. and um, yeah that was not it was motivating but you know I was like still living day to day day to day yeah. So then, what what motivated you the most? What was your proudest uh, entrepreneurial moment? Uh, I'd say when I actually got the first bigger order from from a retailer, um, there was about a five thousand pieces order. But I made uh, after the um, the inspection costs and and the work I did for them, like artwork and photo taking for the product, I made nearly ten thousand US on that order. So that was that was really a boost for me. That was my proudest moment, my first biggest order from the retailer. And that, that was sorry. that was how many months into the business? Uh, there was about no, no. The first order there was four and a half months, but there was like profit of five hundred, six hundred US dollar, and okay. uh, that was about eight months into the business. Yeah, about eight months. And as well, did you do a lot of networking initially, and um, how was that? beneficial to your business you mean initially when i started my own company or since when i moved to to hong kong i think when when you first moved to hong kong yeah well i was very young at the time i was 21 22 you know um when you're younger it's 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 easier to make friends or to to network with people um but but back then there was no really networking opportunity like you have these days you know um uh, there's social media events, and uh, you can meet people through uh, Facebook or meetup groups or whatever. Uh, but back then, the only networking was, you know, going to the exhibitions and and factories, or travel with the buyers when they come from from overseas. Uh, but you know, in time, uh, uh, social media like Facebook, LinkedIn, and uh, Reddit, for example, also helped a lot. I feel like it's pretty, pretty, pretty easy from a networking entrepreneurial stance to to meet people in Hong Kong because it's such a fast bustling city, but yet it's also not that big. So it, it's pretty easy to, to access that type of environment. Do you guys agree with that? I think so. Absolutely. I think so. Um, I think Guangzhou's, uh, it's more spread out. Um, there isn't really as much of that networking culture um, in the mainland, I guess. Uh, I think networking, I mean, networking, yes, is important in China, but in terms of having the sort of networking events weekly, I don't see that much in Guangzhou. Mm, I do agree also. I mean, you could have, you could actually go to uh, a networking event these days, like every other week. That's true. It's very easy. Um, social media helps a lot, you know. So in terms of the social media networking, like how is that, how is that beneficial to your business today? Um, well, most of my clients actually meet through um, through Facebook or word of mouth from uh, existing clients. So it's very important for my business these days. Um, you know, a lot of people spend uh, six, seven, eight hours a day on on the internet or on uh, on Facebook. You know, on social platforms. So um, it, it's become very important for me, social media. Right. And another thing you've built this network through has been all these books. That you've been, been writing, you can see all of them on, on your website. Um, what do you think 
was the initial motivation for you to start getting into this and, and writing and ultimately teaching people? Uh, that's a good question. Actually, you know, my mother is a teacher, and my mother, uh, sorry, my, my, yeah, my mother is a teacher, and I was an author. So maybe I inherited some uh, <laughs> author genes or, or teaching genes there, but uh, no, obviously I, I never had any clue that I would be teaching or, or consulting with people about about importing. I I pretty much started out. Um, for, as of now, there's four books, and I'm working on my fifth book right now, actually. Um, but when I started out, I just wanted to write a couple of pages for for my clients to to give them a better understanding about importing in China, importing from China, uh, and give them a, a general direction. But you know, uh, what turned what was at first a few pages turned into a book, into my first book, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and Sorry, I was going to say with with FBA, that's going to be something that's constantly developing too, and and there's going to be you know consistent new needs coming up. So right now, what do you think? Uh, what aspect of FBA do you think most uh, initial sellers, you know, young sellers, struggle with and need the most help with? Uh, it's very true. Um, it's it's changing very fast, um, but I'd say the thing that FBA sellers should focus on if they want a private label from China. I think it's the import part. I mean, the, the Amazon part is pretty straightforward. Sure, you can learn about uh, PPC and, and the platform itself, and you have to you know, please your clients, but I think the import part is the most important part of the process. You know, There's so much to learn uh, from dealing with Chinese factories, and even me, after 17 years in this business, I, I come across a new problem every other day, you know, so... China is the wild card, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, you guys do the sourcing as well. What do you think is, from your side, the, the most important part? The most uh, important part of thing. sourcing or FBA? Uh, in terms of FBA, what do you think is the most important part of the process? Yeah, I 100% agree. Even, you know, being a part of all the forums and, and Facebook groups, you can see that the main issue that people have is the importing and, you know, uh, the sourcing part, finding the right manufacturers, and then, of course, logistics, shipping out their products. Uh, that seems to be where everybody struggles. You know? As, and, and to just expand on, on China kind of being that, that wild card, you know, when it comes to sourcing and people a lot of times want, want standard answers or standard costs when it comes to their particular project. And unfortunately, in China, even when you're dealing with, with FBA, whereas on the Amazon side, it is more straightforward. Like you said, you know, every product and every every project is, is different. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. Yeah. You just mentioned about the, the young, you know, startup sellers, but how about the more advanced sellers? Um, I think advanced sellers often don't, branch out quickly enough and um, or use the earnings that they make uh, for personal use instead of investing into new products. Um, you know, they, they probably have like two, three, four, five items and everything's going smoothly, but then they don't invest into either the new product or, or branching out to, to other e-commerce sites, for example, or uh, another problem could be uh, not hiring staff and you know really trying to to grow the entire business um, 
a lot of people are overwhelmed with how much money you can make quickly on Amazon, you know. And uh, a lot of people are not prepared for that entrepreneurial uh, mindset. Um, even they call themselves advanced sellers, they may not be an entrepreneur, actually. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things you have to consider when walking down that aisle, walking down that aisle, yeah. Basically having a more long-term vision as opposed to you know making a, a ton of money really quickly and assuming that it's always going to be coming in, right? Exactly, yeah. And, I mean, a lot of Amazon sellers, uh, they do well. You know, some of them make six or even seven figures. But um, they put all their baskets into Amazon. Um, I, I mean, sorry, they put all their eggs into Amazon. They don't, like, uh, branch out into into other businesses. And what's going to happen if, if you get... Um, if your account gets shut down, you know, by Amazon, then you're out of money from within a second. I think a big question that most FBA sellers have outside of China is is the logistics aspects. So being able to have their products maybe bundled, um, you know, inspected and shipped out directly to fulfillment centers in the states. Uh, what uh, what advice do you have for them in terms of finding a reliable freight forwarder or you know handling large shipments? Mm. Actually, most uh, many or many FBA sellers are, are are worried about sending goods directly from the factory to um, to Amazon. You know, so a lot of people hire uh, prep, prepping companies or labeling companies in the US to do that uh, for them. But you know, I think it's a waste of money because if you if you have a good supplier and uh, you have good communication with him. Why not instruct them directly to apply all the labels? Um, then you know you should have an inspection, hire a third-party inspection company, and uh, getting a good logistics company is not that difficult. You know, mm-hmm. you can go on onto Alibaba and uh, have a look at the top results, or, or even ask your supplier. Um, your supplier can often give you a very good um, logistics company contact and uh, because they've been doing this for many years you know so they should be able to give you um Do you, a good picture Manuel, are you comfortable with with the relationship with most most of your suppliers or, or have you encountered a case where some of them might go around you once they see the success that you're building building on uh on Amazon. Damn it, Mike, and I was going to ask try, the same question. <laughs> <laughs> and try to directly sell it themselves because uh, we've heard of this happening as well. Sure. Um, actually, I'm, I'm very comfortable with the, the suppliers I'm working with. Um, uh, they're reliable, they're reputable, they have, I've, been know, I've known them for years and even for the new companies um, that I work with, I mean, yeah, they, they, they do realize at some point I sell to Amazon, but, mm. you know, um, even some people think, oh, the Chinese are all over Amazon US already. I, I don't think it's entirely true. I mean, there are a couple of suppliers who, who really have well English-speaking staff, or maybe they have, uh, they, had a, they have graduates from the US working for them in, in their company, but they haven't figured the haven't figured out the entire process yet, um, mm-hmm. not all of them. So I think there's not much to worry at, at this stage, but you definitely have to be ahead of them, you know, um, have better listings, have proper instruction manuals, have good photos, have good artworks of, of gift boxes, 
I mean, there's so much you can do to be successful on Amazon, and you just have to keep keep adapt keep adapting. Exactly. Yeah. When do you think uh, an FBA seller should be using sea freight versus air freight? Um, I'd say a general rule for myself is um, everything below one thousand kilogram, um, or that's like two thousand pounds. Um, can be done by air, um, but on top of after that, I think it gets too expensive. What I sometimes do is, um, if I have a, a new item uh, and I'm going to place a, a larger order, let's say two thousand pieces, I would usually send in one third by air, so I have goods fast and uh, I can start launching the product and I can get numbers. So ideally, when the, the air shipment is sold out, I will receive my sea shipment. So that way you, you save a bit of costs and you don't go crazy on, on, sea, on, on air freight from the beginning on. But, uh, I mean, something above a thousand kilo, I think, doesn't make sense. It just gets too expensive to send by air. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, what is some advice you could give to current FBA sellers who are doing well but they, they want to take their, their FBA sales to that next level and, you know, experience that, that explosive growth, if you will. Do you have any, uh, you know, steps and plan of action you would take if you were them? Uh, I definitely try to add more products. Even, even let's say, I already have 10 SKUs. I try to add more prod products, um, go into, into different product categories. Maybe, um, let's say, that seller has been doing well in, in household products, you know, why not uh, cross categories into, let's say, fitness or camping or even electronic products, you know. Try to grow your Amazon business, but also um, branch out to, to other e-commerce sites like um, Spotify, maybe even eBay. Uh, it feels like there's a new e-commerce site popping up every day, you know. Mm -hmm. Try to uh, keep ahead and and list your products on, on those sites. I mean, e-fulfillment is, is done so easily these days. There's uh, a lot of warehouses in the States that do e-fulfillment to whatever e-commerce site, you know. And then eventually mm, try to get deals with, with retailers and, and wholesalers. Uh, try to get into the stores and, um, and yeah, retailers to, to actually send out larger shipments to, to clients and, and grow the brand. Also, what are your thoughts on moving on to higher priced items, moving into that, that next tier of, of costs? Um, definitely risky uh, in terms of um, capital because your cash will be tied up um, with those products. And if, if it tanks, well, you've got a bit of a problem. Um, so I'd only recommend to, to go into higher priced items if you actually have enough capital to make such an investment. Um, even so, if you go into higher priced items, try to negotiate smaller quantities with suppliers um, so that you don't risk too much on the higher priced items. But it's definitely a, a strategy to go with. In your opinion, what is, a, um, what is the, selling, you know, the, the, the selling price of a higher priced item? Just so that people could understand what we, what we mean by that. Selling price um, should be, I think, anything above sixty-nine, seventy-nine US dollar. That mm -hmm. would 
be a higher priced item for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I guess you know, with FBA you try to stay within the uh, you know forty dollars or below range, right? That's the impulse buy range. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's I'd say so. Yeah. So I think based off your answer to that, we can we know if uh, whether or not you diversify your product lines. But um, if you do, what are the advantages and disadvantages to having a wide range of products that you offer on on Amazon? Hmm. Um, yeah, I do try to diversify, but you know, I keep within the product categories that I personally can identify myself with. Um, for example, I would actually go into categories that I personally like or that I products that I enjoy using myself. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm an outdoor guy. I, I like fitness. I like going to the gym. So I would, for example. Um, electronic items but also fitness accessories, camping and outdoor gear, anything that has to do with my uh, personal um, uh, personal preferences as well. Um, going into different categories makes sense but the best way would be if you could cross sell them as well with your existing products. Uh, for example, um, if you, your first product is a yoga mat, uh, it would make maybe also sense to go into textile you know, and have active wear or fitness clothing that goes well with a yoga mat. So it definitely makes sense to diversify, yeah. And what type of launch process do you use for new products? Are there any particular marketing tactics that you that you favor? Um, personally, I use a, a mailing list that I've created over the last few years. And um, yeah, on top of that, uh, through my, my, my first few products, I've collected a few emails, um, on my website, so whenever I have, whenever I launch a new product, I add some sort of gimmick or ebook, you know, that people can get when they subscribe to my newsletter on my website. Um, so I try to build a mailing list because I think a mailing list is the best thing you can have uh, for a product launch. But um, yeah, obviously the the standard things like review groups and Facebook pages, they do help a lot, and. Um, well, the common strategies work best, I think. Review groups, uh, mailing lists. Uh, personally, what doesn't help, hasn't worked for me is Facebook advertisements. No matter what I tried or what I did, it never really worked. So I think it's a waste of money. On- Do you mean... Is- Sorry, Mike? No, I was just going to say it's interesting to get different people's feedback on that because you know, we have you know friends and, and different entrepreneurs we've heard that say that's the lifeblood of their of their advertising budget is doing it book but you know i know many people like yourself who haven't had much success with it mm-hmm. I, I you know i'm i'm not much of a of a technical geek or um it guy <laughs> <laughs> but i know that you have to focus on uh, uh target groups and you have to twist and you know uh, modify facebook advertisements to get really successful but I haven't figured it out um, right. what I heard is that you shouldn't target to to send people directly to your listing uh, but more like um, on the likes but either way I, I haven't figured it out so if you have maybe <laughs> send me a note <laughs>
know some people do and some people aren't into it like yourself we're we're using it for the for the podcast it's been pretty beneficial for that you know um mm. and i think for us it's been people coming to the website to listen to the podcast and then after listening to the podcast joining our email list that's what i've seen right. the, the the general process has been i'm not sure what it would be like if you're launching a product though i would also try to you know if you work with facebook create a group mm-hmm. um don't create a face. I mean, create a Facebook page, but as you know, um, you have to pay for. You have to pay Facebook mostly to to boost anything. Mm-hmm. Let's say a thousand Facebook likes. You know, when when you post something on your Facebook page, actually only like ten percent gets to see it, and for the rest you need to pay. You know, so rather maybe create a group, um, a Facebook group around the interest of the product, and and then post your products in there. Uh, because in groups everyone can see it and you don't need to pay extra you that's ha- one thing that I'm trying right now you have a Facebook group right the import dojo yes I have two Facebook groups um, both import dojo one for let's say paying members and uh, another open group um, where everyone basically can join uh, and learn about importing from China but also Amazon so we were asking earlier we were talking about maybe how comfortable you are with your manufacturers uh, I know it seems like a, an issue that comes up often. Has anybody ever hijacked a product that you were selling on, on Amazon? Uh, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's maybe that's the case. Also, because um, for most of my new products uh, that I private label with, um, you know, packaging and maybe have some modification on the product, I actually have the supplier signed a non-disclosure agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, or an exclusivity agreement also. I know that doesn't work when you have like an order for 100 pieces, but, but since I'm, I'm modifying the product and more or less helping the supplier to get onto Amazon, um, I usually sign exclusivity deals with him that I'm the only one allowed to sell his product um, under this condition. I mean, obviously, uh, another Amazon seller can go to a different factory and copy me there, but... Uh, you know, uh, it happens, and nothing I can really do there. And it's kind of, um, um, yeah, I forgot my thread the, there. The cost of doing business. Right, exactly. It's yeah. just part of the game, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, move on. Move. Uh, get your new, your work on your newest product. Uh, there's exactly. no point in being upset about that. I think that's also that also comes down to finding a really good supplier because, you know, we've had situations where an FBA customer asked us to find a particular product, and then we mm-hmm. found that product with a with a certain factory, and they told us, "No, sorry, we already have an exclusivity agreement with our customer," you know, and that that doesn't sound usual for people outside of China for a Chinese manufacturer to say, "Hey, we're respecting this contract that we have," you know, but that's, that's the the ideal supplier yeah. you want to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Manuel, where do you see FBA going from here? What do you see as the as the future, if you will? Um, a lot of competition is is coming to to FBA, especially in the US, since it's the biggest market. I mean, obviously, um, we are we are not helping the cause. You guys and me, we are teaching people how to to set <laughs> on, on Amazon. <laughs> so we are making the competition even bigger. But then again, I think there is uh, space for for everyone who who follows the proper process. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people who who try out Amazon, but they they don't really do the research. They just 
jump on it and uh, they jump on the train and then but they fail to grow because of uh, they haven't done the proper research or they haven't followed the steps in in the process properly you know so I think there'll always be room because these guys will um, disappear at some point and the only the fittest will survive mm -hmm. right and and do you also consider Amazon to be possibly a competitor and use what FBA sellers are, are selling and succeeding with and then, you know, essentially buying their own products and, and eventually wiping out FBA sellers? Uh, difficult to say. I um, guess it could happen at some point or at, to some extent. But I think, on the other hand, uh, Amazon is not, even if Amazon is not always treating their sellers nice, you know, um, you often hear how accounts get shut down for no reason or uh, how Seller Central is not really helpful. But then again, you know, they need us guys, us sellers, because we account for a large profit share. So they kind of need to keep us happy as well. And I doubt that um, Amazon will entirely wipe out um, FBA sellers. I don't think so. Have you had some personal experience with accounts being wiped out? Uh, you, with accounts being wiped, wiped out and not reinstated, you mean? Right. You said that, that some people were worried about that as something that you or, or anyone that you're close with has dealt with. Um, well, I, I know like two or three people in my group um, that their account has been closed, uh, but since been reinstated. I mean, if, oh, you, okay. if you really um, haven't done anything really wrong and not copy infringed any product then I think you you're okay um, you just don't really have to piss them off <laughs> <laughs> well what were the issues in those in those particular circumstances where people had their accounts shut down uh, I think a, a competitor of theirs complained uh, about a product that they copied but it wasn't actually true um, so they had to provide a couple of documents from the suppliers directly and were reinstated. Both had the same problem um, on being uh, that Amazon claimed they, they had copy infringement. You know, we just asked you about the future of FBA, but how about yourself? Where do you see yourself moving, whether it's FBA or other aspects of, of your business in, in the next few years? Mm, um, I definitely want to grow my, my Amazon business. Um, let's say within two to five years, I definitely want to have between uh, somewhere between 20 to maybe 40 SKUs, um, maybe even hire people to just take care of my Amazon business, um, launch a few more products, and uh, but also obviously continue growing the brand with, let's say, retailers that I work with in Europe already. Um, on the other hand, I'm, I'm working on a couple of Kickstarters, so I do want to do more uh, on Kickstarter uh, because I think it's still a huge market and great potential. And um, also, I want to work growing the uh, Import Dojo community. I really want to make Import Dojo. Sorry, guys, I know you're doing kind of similar things, but <laughs> I kind of want to go to the, the number one domain when it comes to learning about importing from China and selling on Amazon. I mean, you can take care of the sourcing, and I'll take care of teaching hey, it's a, it's a It's a very big pie. It's a very big pie, yeah.
sure. You can you can write books or continue doing the podcast. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, Manuel, if you if you don't mind, are the Kickstarter something that's still in the ground stages, or do you have any interest in in plugging them here on the podcast? Uh, well, I had I was working on uh, one already where I'm kind of in the video. Also, people can just um, Google um, Gauss G A U S S eyewear. Mm -hmm. uh, the, I didn't really do much on there. I helped, and uh, the the newest Kickstarter that uh, I'm working on is um, it's an outdoor product. I can't say much about it, but we have. Uh, we're working on the second prototype now. Uh, we already did a couple of videos, and uh, hopefully out soon, early next year. Excellent. That's great. Let us know when it's ready to uh, to drop, and we'll help, help help get the word out. We'll do. Thanks. Before we move into the you know how we close out the interviews with personal questions, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to talk about? Um, well, maybe I didn't explain too much about Import Dojo yet, if, if your um, listeners are interested. It's um, it's a blog, it's, there's a lot of free information, um, people can get my, my first book, uh, the Import Bible on there for free if they subscribe, but you can also read it on the website actually, you don't need to opt in. Um, yeah, so if people are interested in, in learning importing from China, I'd be happy to have them look at my blog or even read the book, sure. Yeah, and you, you have four books, right? It's uh, the Import Bible, which is, as you just mentioned, maybe the, the most popular one. You have the FBA Bible, you have Business in China, and the Professional Import Bible. That's right. Um, three of them I actually uh, worked into uh, an online course also on my site, if, if someone's interested in really taking it to the next level. Uh, but the most popular one is the, the Import Bible, which is available for free. And uh, 65 pages book. I think it covers most of the uh, raised questions when it comes to importing from China. What is the smallest thing you've done that's brought you the largest results? So the Pareto 80-20 principle. Mm -hmm. uh, I think helping people um, selflessly without asking for anything in return uh, is actually where I get most of my uh, business or my money coming in. Um, for example, if you help like people on Facebook groups and you don't ask for anything, you don't plug your your blog or your books or your course or whatever. Um, people are just generally curious, you know, who is this guy? Who is why is he helping so much? Mm -hmm. And then they check you out anyway, and then they come to you. Um, and I feel like helping people just satisfies me personally, but also it helps um, my business immensely, you know. So giving Absolutely. giving value. <laughs> yes, Always. giving value. You need to give a lot. These days, you really need to give a lot for free mm -hmm. to 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 attract potential customers. You know, otherwise, you're Absolutely. just someone plugging a blog or a course or trying to sell something. Absolutely. Who are and were your role models starting out? Um, didn't really have a role model per se in the beginning. Um. General, just a general motivation to make it because I was just so tired of, you know, the the red race, the nine to five job, and just wanted to get out of of that and uh, run my own business, have more free time, have more um, time for family and friends. So that kind of motivated me, motivated me in the beginning, and and now I think my students actually inspire me. Is 
um, when they tell me, you know, they, they just launched their first product, they made their first sale, or they're actually posting in my groups, hey guys, uh, launching my third product, if I can do it, you can do it, um, you know, and in turn inspiring other new students. Um, that kind of inspires me and keeps me going to, to improve my business or courses or even the books. That's great. That's excellent. Everybody supporting each other. Uh, if mm. someone were to understand you better, what three books or blogs should they read? We like to ask this of all the uh, guests on the podcast. Uh, obviously, my books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just kidding. Um, well, personally, I don't really read many, let's say, business books um, or listen to, to blogs. I do listen, uh, sorry, listen to podcasts. I do listen to a couple of them. Yours is one of them now. Um, but personally, when I what I read is more like um, more, um, uh, thrillers or a novel. Um, I don't really want to read about business when I'm when I have time. You know, I want to relax. I want to chill out. But Just obviously, take, the, take a brain, brain vacation. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, a good book is always the, the if you, if I have to say if I have to pick. I'd say the four-hour work week in mm -hmm. Ferris. Um, if I would have to listen to a blog, I personally like Freedom uh, to a podcast. It's uh, Freedom Fast Lane. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, yeah. Other other than that, I really just try to shut off. And um, well, I yeah. mean, what's what's a good uh, thriller novel that you're reading right now? I like to read. Um, well, Henning Mankell, he's a, a Swedish crime novelist. Um, he wrote a couple of the um, Wallander thrillers. I like to read Grisham. I like to read Stephen King. Uh, Dan Brown I like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty much. All right, good stuff. And finally, what are the top three apps that you use every day? Uh, on my smartphone, I'd have to say Facebook. Um, because it also goes with my business. Um, if I'm sitting on the laptop and I have to have to use an app, it's probably Trello. Um, I use that for project management and keeping up to date with all my projects. And uh, also on the smartphone, I think it's Spotify. I need music when I work, so otherwise I don't really function properly. So Facebook, Trello, and Spotify. Yeah, I definitely use Spotify every day when when I'm working and listening to music. Mm. Yeah. One of the things we do as a, as well with the podcast is we have a Spotify playlist of all the music we play in our outros. Really? Okay. I have to check that out. <laughs> if, if you have any recommendations, let us know. Um, there's the Indie channel um, I like to use. Uh, I think on uh, Spotify it's called Indie, Classic Indie or something. And that's very, I can recommend that one. Awesome. Manuel, you are a fountain of knowledge man we really appreciate <laughs> you talking to you and there's uh you know it's clear that that you're going to keep growing and and be a real success at this man thank you for your time thanks a lot for having me guys um wishing you all the best as well keep going guys keep going yep i appreciate you and uh so if people want to reach out to you where can they where can they go uh there's a contact form on uh, importdojo.com, but um, just for reference, you can also note down mail at importdojo.com. I think that's the easiest way to reach me. 
Alright, fantastic. And if you guys want to reach out to us, we are at info at sourcefindasia.com. Of course, the website will have all the resources and anything that Manuel talked about. And at sourcefindasia.com slash made in China. Thank you guys for listening. See you next time. Thank you guys. Thank you for the comments. Keep them coming. Thanks a lot, guys. You took my heart and my keys and my patience You took my heart and my sleep for decoration You mistaken my love, I brought for you for foundation All that I wanted from you was to give me Something that I never had Something that you never seen Something that you never been mm-hmm. But I wake up and that ain't nothing's wrong Just get